the only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, welcome to Football Social Daily. Stuck in the desert that is the international break at the moment. This is a Premier League-focused podcast. Every day of the week, a brand new show. But sometimes during this national break, that Premier League news can be slightly thin on the ground. But still, there is loads to go at on today's podcast. I'm Jim Salverson. I've got Marley Anderson and Steve McNaughton on the podcast today. Hello, lads. Good morning. Hey, guys. Going to be picking up off the back of a conversation on yesterday's podcast where the boys were discussing the top five Premier League defenders after a question on the Ask Me Anything section of the podcast. We're going to be looking at midfielders today because I thought it was a rich vein to pick at and talking about who are the top five Premier League midfielders based on this season's form. I've also got a bit of a quiz coming up shortly. KFC have officially apologised to the French national team after threatening to pull out of their sponsorship deal. I'm going to be looking at some of the most iconic sponsorship deals that have appeared on the front of Premier League shirts through the years and checking Marley and Steve's knowledge of those. And we start with a bit of Premier League news because it has been announced that all clubs across the Premier League have just unanimously agreed that fans will now face a minimum one-year ban from football if they are caught engaging in antisocial or criminal behaviour. This is in place immediately. So no antisocial or criminal behaviour allowed at this weekend or next weekend's Premier League games when the Premier League resumes. This applies to anyone caught carrying pyrotechnics or carrying smoke bombs or entering the field of play, which I think is potentially the slightly contentious part of this. What do you think about these rules, Marley? Are these necessary steps or is it a step too far? A year's ban for getting overexcited and running onto the pitch when your team avoids relegation, for example? (laughs) Um, It sounds harsh on the the sort of face of it, but... In reality, you know, if if you know that a punishment is a year that you can't go and watch your team, I think it's it, it's got to be harsh because it has to to deter people. It can't be you're going to miss one or two games like, like footballers do when they get sent off. It's not like that. It's It's got to be uh, a deterrent. And I think a year of not watching football is is um, uh, a suitable deterrent, to be honest. Um, you know, People with pyrotechnics, I know, the, you know, across Europe, it, it does look pretty good, and uh, the aesthetics of it are, 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 um, are sort of eye-catching and, and sort of viralish because you see like partisan Belgrade and the pra- practically the entire stands on fire, um, and it does look kind of cool, but it is dangerous. Like you can't deny it. Like you can't. Uh, it's you know, it could seriously hurt someone. And when one gets thrown on the pitch, everyone's seen it, aren't they? When the game stops for ten minutes, well, they. They pull out the uh, the flare from the scorched turf, and the turf's all knackered over in the corner. So, um, I agree with it. To be honest, um, I, the only thing I would do is extend it to anyone carrying a sign saying, "Please, so and so, can I have your shirt?" Any any kids <laughs> having that, you can get lost. Get out. <laughs> I'd extend it to half and half scarves. Anyone seen wearing a half and half scarf? Like lifetime ban, in my opinion. I mean, I guess, Steve, there will be people who say this potentially robs a football ground of its atmosphere. Like Marley says, there's something quite nice about going and watching Italian football and seeing some flares in the ground, but they are dangerous. And likewise, people invading a pitch when they're overcome with emotion having just watched their team 
it's something that there's something that's quite nice about seeing that in football. But then we see players getting assaulted in those scenarios when they're surrounded by players. And I guess it's about crowd management. Is there a risk that over recent years we've been heading back to those bad old days of crowd behaviour? And this is an attempt by the Premier League to kind of address that and nip it in the bud before it even escalates to that stage. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that is the case. I think that the the ban is a really positive step forward in terms of you know controlling fans. I mean, the pyrotechnics, like we've said, they, they look great, they look fantastic, and that. But when they're getting thrown about, that's that's a real issue for me. Um, so we need to you know to stop that. And I think people entering the field is a massive. Um, no go. I mean, I've seen footage, um, you know, when you walk past somewhere and it was the headbutt on the Sheffield United coach. Who was it? Was it Billy Sharp? Mm. Was it who got headbutted? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Robin Robin Olsen got punched by a Man City fan on the uh, last day of the season last year. We've, we've got to stop that. You know, these footballers should not be placed in, you know, harm's way or be put in a situation where a fan can run on a pitch and assault them or do something to them. Uh, it's like that Jack Grealish thing a few years ago, Steve. You remember when he just got flat out punched by a Birmingham fan? I think he ended up getting jailed, which is fine, but yeah. Yeah, I do remember that, and I just think that it's just uh, one of them where, um, you know, we, we have got to stop people taking the law into themselves and thinking that they can do whatever they want, and I think this is a positive step forward. I think from my point of view, I would, depending on the event, the, Offence, I would probably lengthen it from a year. If you throw a pyrotechnic, well, it's a year at minimum. Yeah, you know, if you throw a pyrotechnic at an opposition goalkeeper, I know there was a famous incident with Deedy years ago, wasn't there? Where it never quite hit him, but he uh, had a good old roll round for a bit, didn't he? And um, I just think things like that deserve a lifetime ban. So it's, it's. I know it's going to be subjective, and it's going to be up to people that are deciding on the specific incident. But I think this is really positive. I agree, it is a positive step and it goes some way to tackling some of the issues we have with football fans in the UK at the moment. Obviously there are plenty more issues to be tackled in terms of racial abuse, social media abuse and all those kind of slightly more complex issues in terms of kind of identifying and punishing the offenders there. I guess this is the Premier League leading by example, Marley, because if you look at the wider international football scene and what we see in terms of FIFA and UEFA and the punishments they hand out to football clubs and individuals when they infringe on the rules and their behaviour isn't as desired. So it's a positive step by FIFA, by the Premier League, but is it important now that the likes of FIFA and the likes of UEFA kind of take note and follow suit on an international basis? Well, that's the that's the, uh, the million dollar question, isn't it? I suppose we've we've been having these issues for for years, and we see it every year with um, fan behaviour and instances of racism and and you know booing through through minute silences and all sorts of stuff. But like it it does have to change, but it it's really hard. You can only look after your own house, sort of thing. So the Premier League are saying, right, you know, if if you do this in the Premier League, if you bring pyrotechnics in or you go on the pitch, you're banned. Simple as that, and that's great. And as we've we've just said, but other countries have different cultures, and I don't think there is, um, I don't think that they're as bothered by it, um, which is just a reflection of of their footballing culture you know they they like pyrotechnics in stadiums it gives atmosphere if you ever see a game in argentina it's absolutely mental 
Um, you see, uh, I think it was there was a clip a few months ago of I think it was La Bombonera, the Boca Juniors Stadium, and it was bouncing up and down. It was physically bouncing, um, and that's you know, f- fans. I'm not saying it's, you know, I'm not saying they should. It's it's an awful place or anything like that. But fan safety there is not as. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it's it's similar to football in the eighties. Well, in, you in could say England. the same across the culture, couldn't you? It's like building sites probably don't have the same health and safety regulations as you yeah, in the UK. Yeah, it's crazy, but you know, it's their culture, so it's it's kind of hard to say everybody should be like us because in some in some areas, you know, we're not great, and in other areas, we can see ourselves as great, but but it doesn't transcend to to other countries, so. That's the problem FIFA have with um, when when we talk about the racism stuff um, and fan behaviour and things like that. Are they as do they hold the same standards as as England? Um, I don't think they do. And is that is that their fault? I don't know. I think it's just a reflection of every every country's culture. And we're at a, a time in our in our country, I think, where it's it's almost like. Uh, like the image of football is is so easily shot at and easily put down by those that are, that are in power and things like that that you, you don't want to do anything wrong because it's just another an, another stick to to beat football with. Um, so they they introduce these measures to uh, to try and counter that before it becomes a problem. Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent, I agree that you kind of have to be slightly respectful of football cultures around things like use of flares, for example. I'm not entirely sure you have to be respectful of other cultures when it involves things like racism. I think we'd all agree that that's something that is unacceptable across the board. But those new rules from the Premier League will be in place from the next round of Premier League games. So if you are planning on taking a Catherine wheel to your next football game, think again. Jim, one one of the things with uh, West Ham, Jim, is that nobody can throw a firework far enough t- from the stands to get on the London Stadium <laughs> pitch, can they? So unless uh, there's no. a, a world-class javelin thrower in the first row, <laughs> no one's going to get hurt. There you go, safety first at the London Stadium. We should ban the bubbles as oh, well. Yeah. Get a bit of soap in your eye, disaster. Yeah, th- them, yeah that... Um... Them bubbles are dangerous. Best thing about watching West Ham at the moment is the bubbles. Uh, right, let's move on to the World Cup very quickly. I want to talk about World Cup kits because every international team has now unveiled its kit for Qatar. The England kit amongst them. They kind of used that spell between the Queen's funeral and the friendly games to announce that there would be two new kits for the World Cup. The home kit's kind of a white number with blue shoulders. It looks a little bit like a modern take on the Admiral shirt of the 80s, but it also looks like a bit of a training kit. The away kit for West, uh, for the away kit for England, sorry, is a bit of a triumph. I think it's a a retro number. It's kind of like a red away kit compared to the one that England wore back in the nineteen nineties World Cup. I really like it. What was your reaction to seeing those England kits, Steve? Are you a fan? I think Nike have done a good job on them. Uh, I, I like the home kit. I like how you know it is a bit different. I mean, I hadn't considered them, the you know the modern take on the Admiral shirts, them classic shirts from Espana '82. Uh, I, th- I think you know it's a good job. Um, I think that the red kit is is very much a, a nod to that old Umbro kit, isn't it? Um, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, will I buy them for my boys? Probably not. Uh, if I'm honest, I was uh, going to say. It- it still costs an absolute bomb. I was looking at the kids' shirts because my lad, I mean, similar to yours, my lad's nine. He's got an interest in the World Cup. It'll yeah. be his first real World Cup he remembers. And he'd like to get an England kit, but it's 60 quid for a older kid's shirt. 50 quid if you want one of the mini kit options. Yeah. 
it's really expensive for a kid's football shirt that's not going to keep them dressed for that long. It feels like that's something that could be addressed by... I don't know whose job it is to address that, but across the board, football kits are too expensive at the moment for a bit of material. They're, they're ridiculous, and um, you know, my oldest is is just a bit younger than than yours, Jim. Um, and the biggest challenge we've got with the England kits, as soon as they put them on, they blink and they're absolutely filthy, aren't they? <laughs> you know, so that's that's yeah. the, uh, <laughs> uh, the issue. But the, the reality is, is that you know, my, my team's kits are supplied by Nike, um, so I've I've spent an absolute fortune up until last week on on the three Liverpool kits for this season for for three boys and they'll mm-hmm. get they'll get the word out of it because they live in the Liverpool kits you know that our, our 8 year old is is obsessed our 2 year old three in a couple of weeks is getting that way and you can't leave the 17 month old out can you you know what i mean so it's just um, I don't mind because they can did the dry the day after, um, so they get the word out of them. But my you know my oldest is about 130 quid when it's badged up for the kit, and my two year old is 70 quid, and the the youngest one doesn't get it badged up obviously, um, you know. And I just think that it is a significant financial commitment for any family, you know, whether you have children that are into football um, boy or girl to make and I just think the England kits come along when you've already invested quite a lot of money and it, it's a difficult ask really mm. What do you make of the kits? Obviously you've got no concerns Marley about buying mini kits although you might fit into one of the mini kits I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Oh, Potentially you get wow. one of them. <laughs> I am way too fat unfortunately <laughs> But what did, what did you make of England's efforts for this year's World Cup? There's been a mixed bag of reviews Cheeky bugger you sometimes, honestly, Jim. Um, <laughs> no, um, the home kit is is rank. I hate it. <laughs> um, it's I just don't. I I don't like Nike's um, template this year of the just any of it. I, I don't like the um, the what they've done with um, Barcelona is a, a decent example. It's almost like a raglan design of different color sleeves and then a, a pattern in the middle. I, I don't like that. Um, and the England home kit, the the sort of gradient style blue on the on the shoulders, I just don't don't buy it at all. And Do you know what, Marley? Do you know what? I, I don't like the way you say Nike. <laughs> I don't like the way you say Nike either. But it, it, how do you say the other one that begins with A, the German Adi- brand? Adidas. Right, that's fair enough. We agree on that because people who say Adidas do my tits in. Oh honestly. God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get away. Yeah, get in the sea. Um, anyone who says Adidas. Yeah. Um, anyway, Nike or Nike. Um, they're the awake it though. It saves it. I think the home kit is is horrible, but the the away kit's an absolute classic. I think you know they they have just mm. basically copied the the um, the mid nineties red uh, design. I think it was ninety eight. I think we wore that uh, somewhat similar. Um, and I think it's I think it's an absolute beauty. Um, I did see once a concept kit of the home kit going round of it was basically a an exact modern replica of the uh, the eighty eight kit, but uh, it turned out to be a concept rather than a, an actual design. There was they were not far away from all time classic kits, the pair of them. But you know, if you uh, if you launch two absolute worldy designs, everyone buys them and nobody buys your next one because they're happy with what they've got. So maybe mm. it's a little strategy design to put out a slightly um, experimental home kit and a beauty away kit so at least somebody buys everybody buys the away kit this year and then next time when they release another one in six months time when we 
crash out the World Cup in the group stage and then everyone wants to forget the kits they can they can go again next year and charge you another 85 quid for for uh, whatever they come up with next the next plain white t-shirt they bring out with an England badge on it do you think we'll go out in the group stage Marley? no I'm just saying if we do they'll want to forget right. it. Okay. It, it it happens quite a lot fair um, enough mate fair enough I will shut up yeah <laughs> <laughs> who's winning the World Cup? It was based purely on the Qatar. quality because all the World Cup kits have been released now. Who's winning it based purely on the quality of the kits? I'm not very keen on the Puma designs this year that have kind of got the big crest thing going on on the front. Oh, but I think there's yeah. some absolute beauties. Argentina home kit is an absolute stunner. And, and I really away. like the Denmark kit as well. Yeah, well, I'm not um, the away kit's not as as good for me, but I like the traditional white and blue of the Argentina. Yeah, it's, it's a nice kind of yeah. twist on that. The the Denmark kit I think is an absolute stunner. It's Hummel. I'm always a big fan of a Hummel kit, but they've gone for like a white out on their away kit where everything is white from the crest Lovely. to the logo to the sleeve designs and the red as well. The home kit looks really nice. But for you, Steve, who would win if it was based purely on the kit? Uh, it's got to be one of the Adidas kits. I love the new Adidas logo that they, they you know they put on it. Um, I think it's probably Argentina, to be honest, Jim. Um, mm. But it's just on Hummel, it's interesting that they produce absolute worldies for Denmark. and But Everton have probably got the three kits in the league <laughs> it's weird <laughs> thing is with Everton what can Marley. you do with Everton like the home kit like well nothing Marley it's just nothing. blue like they've got nothing else just bring out a blue kit and every time they try and do something different they get it wrong don't they yeah 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 not awful yeah <clears throat> who are you going for Marley uh, I'm just looking at this Argentina one it's hard to beat to be fair I think that home kit is a beauty the the two thinner stripes on the back as well is uh, is incredible. I, I really like that. Um, so I, that that one's hard to beat. Um, I'm trying to see the Denmark one now, but I'm not as big a fan of of, of Hummel as as other people are. Um, they have done some bangers over the years, but the um, I think it's just the the fact that Denmark always are never as good as the kits, which which kind of winds me up a bit. Like sometimes they turn up and they're like, "Oh, that's a that's a mint kit that," and then you see like Yannick Vestergaard humping one out of play for a for a throw in, and you're like, "Ah, oh, they're actually not very good this lot." But it's um it's quite nice, but it's not it's not Argentina's Argentina's home kit and England's away kit is is as good as I've seen. Got a good side Argentina this time as well. Yeah, Argentina, favourites in the kit stakes and maybe the World Cup stakes as well. They're certainly one of the contenders. And like I say, Mexico away. If you've not had a good look at the kits yet, it's kind of a white number with this kind of Aztec pattern all over it in red. Again, it's an Adidas kit. I think it's quite tasty. Uh, We're going to stop talking about kits now and we're going to move our attention to midfielders after yesterday's fierce debate over who were the top five defenders in the Premier League. We're going to move up the pitch and talk about who the top five midfielders might be. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're talking about the engine room of Premier League teams now, the midfield. We had a question yesterday on AQA from Liam, I think it was. He wanted to know who the top five Premier League defenders were based on this season's form. And I want to do the same with the midfield now. And I think there'll be some obvious choices in this, but we're going to try and come up with our definitive top five. I've asked Marley and Steve both to come up with a list of five. I've got a list of five as well. We'll go through those and then maybe see where the crossover is and see where the debate is as well. I'll do mine first. I'll get them out of the way. And I think there will be some choices on here that everyone agrees with. Kevin De Bruyne, which is an absolute given. He is 100% on the list. Bernardo Silva, I've got on my top five. Declan Rice, obviously. Has to be there. Not been in the greatest form this season, but I still think he is one of the best defensive midfielders in the world at the moment, not just in the Premier League. Martin Odegaard, I've been really impressed with this season and one you'll enjoy, Steve, particularly based on this season's form. Harvey Elliott, I think, is having a great season in the midfield for Liverpool. So that is my top five. Now, there will be probably some debate as to what is a striker and what isn't, a, what is a midfielder and what isn't a midfielder because you've got the likes of Son, for example, at Tottenham who appears in the, a midfield role if you're playing fantasy Premier League but in reality I don't think he's a midfielder so we might have to debate that at some point so that's my top five De Bruyne Silva Rice Odegaard Elliot who have you got on your list Marley? Um, I'm just getting over Harvey Elliott in your team but then Rice being in it for this season's form even though he's not been that good but I don't know what, what are the parameters is it this season or is it overall? I think it's got to be this season so far although I think you get a little bit of credit for previous seasons as well. There's no hard and fast rules here. <laughs> so, okay, right. Um, well, obviously, I'm going for De Bruyne because um, he's yeah. street ahead of anyone else in the league, um, in my opinion. Um, so that's number one. Um, Thiago from Liverpool. Um, I think the way he controls the game is is brilliant and his, his touch is absolutely insane. don't think I've ever seen him miscontrol a ball. Um I had Rice in mine as well, to be fair. Um, okay, maybe not on this season, but as defensive midfielders go, he's, he's hard to beat. Um, and then the other two were a little bit more open, but I want to put Bruno Gamara. Oh, in I knew you were going to go for Gamara. I just do, because I think he could get into most teams ahead of us. I think he could get in that Liverpool team, no problem. Not when everyone's um, free. I think he could, get in, he could get in the Chelsea team, I think. Uh, I think you get in the Spurs team, so I think um, I think we've uh, we've got a got a winner there. Um, and the way he's improved us as well is is huge. Um, so that's number four, and the fifth one. I don't know if he counts, uh, but uh, Bernardo Silva is is amazing. I think when he plays in centre midfield and is allowed to roam a little bit more, um, I like him better than when he's on a wing because I think on a wing. He, you can use your sort of physicality a little bit against him and, and he, he gets a bit quiet in games. But when he plays in that midfield three, I think he's brilliant. So uh, well, I think that's got... one of the reasons why he's such a quality midfielder, Bernardo, is that he has that versatility and you can play him right across the midfield. I think I've even seen him play in kind of that pivot role for Pep Guardiola at times where he just has the ability to play right across the midfield and even occasionally drop in at the kind of as the as the focal point of the attack it's kind of it's got that huge versatility that I think is just one of the skills that he has in his locker Steve 
who have you got on your top five? Uh, I have gone for obviously KDB. Um, he's just unrivaled, I think, in world football at the moment in in that position. Um, I've gone for Odegaard. I think he's he's been in you know really good kind of form this season. I've gone for um, Caicedo from Brighton, who I think is having a really good season as well. Uh, I have gone for Thiago for the reasons that that Matt, uh, sorry Marley, alluded to. Um, he is just an incredible footballer. Um, certainly, kind of controls games, the touches, the little shoulder drop. And then uh, I've gone for Ruben Neves in fifth. Uh, and it's obviously I, I'm a uh, you know it's based on form at the minute. I think there's a lot of big players this season who have not quite shown up yet for whatever reasons. I mean, you know, it would have been interesting to hear about the uh, you know defenders yesterday because Virgil's not been at it as he this season so far. Um because you know we know when he's at it he is the best around. But um that's who I go for at the minute. But I think honourable nods to um James Ward Prowse and, and Madison as well from Leicester. Okay. Well there's some common names across that list. I think KDB is in, I reckon. I think Bernardo probably goes into our list. Thiago as well, because you two have both selected Thiago and he wasn't far away from my final five. I think the places that are up for debate are probably between Declan Rice, which as you say, Marley and me both picked, but his form this season hasn't been brilliant. Gomez at Newcastle, which we both knew that Marley was going to pick. I want to talk to, about Harvey Elliott for a moment, Steve, though, because the reason he's in for me is because I think he's come back from that injury that saw him out for most of last season. And in a Liverpool team that's not been massively impressive this season, he's been the one that, for me, I think has looked like he's wanted to make things happen. He's picked the ball up from defence, he's driven forward, and he's been that archetypal box-to-box midfielder. Yeah, he has, and I think... What I will say is that his his work rate, his his endeavour, his you know desire to to be a vital cog in that Liverpool midfield is is second to none. My feeling, if we're going to be honest, is that he's still a little bit lightweight. Um, I think that when Liverpool's midfield has been decimated by injuries, and we've played Fabinho, Milner. And Harvey Elliott, I think he's being caught out in that respect. But I think if you put Thiago next to him for being your behind him, and he has got that little bit of protection to express himself, I think absolutely. Um, I think you know, there's there's no doubt there's, a, there's an incredible young player in there. But he is only 19 still. Um, there's a lot of development to come for him. I think his future is in the centre of that Liverpool midfield, as in or certainly in a false nine as a playmaker. Um, and yeah. Super impressive, um, you know, and I just think that um, his time is going to come. But for me, not quite yet. Well, I don't think he does make our five because he only had my vote. And I'm just totting up the numbers. And another player that misses out on the final five is going to be Gamera's Marley. But I want you to be able to make your case for why you think he should be. Then, sorry, what about the final slot? Well, I've just looked, and if Rice is going in there, then we've got four, haven't we? Now, if you work if you work out how many people like if you do it on the votes that have been cast, the final five is KDB, Bernardo, Thiago, Declan Rice, and Odegaard, who both me and Steve McNaughton both plumped for. So, I mean, you, you can... what winds me up about Odegaard is he doesn't bloody shoot; he just passes all the time. Like he gets through on goal and he'll he'll look for a pass. I'm like, if he had a decent shot on him, he could be a similar player to De Bruyne. Like. 
he's not clinical enough. He's just it's like a PlayStation controller with four X buttons. <laughs> just passes all the time. It's bizarre, honestly. Like I love him as a player. I I do rate him, but if he was a bit more clinical, he could he could be so much better. Um, but yeah, he's he is class to be fair. Um, and he's massively improved Arsenal from what they had before to what they had now. Um, he is good, but yeah, I, I mean. For me as well, he can go. He can go a little bit missing in games with his. Um, if if you if you're a bit rough with him, I'm not sure he he, he really likes it. Um, but yeah, obviously I go for Bruno, but I'm biased, and that's because. But then again, I think he's class, so I think he gets in most teams in the Premier League, with the exception of Man City. So, um, yeah, that's that's. There me. is always an element in these things, and I think I saw it yesterday with the top five that were being picked for the defensive duties. There is a big club bias. And it might be a subconscious bias, but I guess you kind of look at the teams that are performing and it's very difficult to pick a player who is performing in a team that's not performing. The like of Lewis Dunk obviously got an honourable mention yesterday. You were going for Ward-Prowse today, Steve. Does that make it more impressive that a player is performing in a team that is maybe not at the top end of the table? Does it they deserve extra credit rather than being ruled out? Yeah, you can say the same with Madison as well. And you know, he he was uh, great against Spurs, wasn't he? And you know, scored a nice goal. And um, you know, he's someone who's working his plums off at the minute. And obviously, those around him aren't. <laughs> you know, so honourable mention to him, as far as I'm concerned. Well, there's our five: KDB, Bernardo, Thiago. Rice and Odegaard, you can get stuck into the debate on our Twitter account at FSD pod. And you can also join our telegram where we'll be discussing those choices there as well. The link to join the telegram, which is a bit like kind of a flashy version of WhatsApp. If you've never used it before, you can find the link at the top of our Twitter page It is the pinned tweet there. Just click sign up and get involved in the debate. We're going to be talking about sponsors next and particularly some of those iconic Premier League shirt sponsors after K. KFC officially apologised to the French national team for threatening to withdraw their sponsorship. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, and final bit of today's Football Social Daily is all about sponsors. You might have seen the news that KFC have officially apologised to the French national team. They threatened to cancel their sponsorship because Kylian Mbappe refused to take part in a promo shoot for KFC, which has left a bit of an uncomfortable sponsor club team relationship. I'm assuming it would have been a picture of Mbappe holding up a hot wing or something like that. So you can kind of understand why maybe he didn't want to take part in that. But they've kind of smoothed over those relationships. But it got me thinking about some of those iconic club shirt sponsorship deals throughout Premier League history. Those times where a brand and a club just became synonymous with each other. And I want to see how many Steve and Marley can remember from the past. So I'm going to give you the team I'm going to give you the dates, and I want to see if you can remember the shirt sponsor for those dates. There's going to be four questions each. We'll see who comes out top of this one. My money's on Steve for this, I think. I think I just reckon he's got a bit more of a Do you know why that is, Jim? That is because you've wrote the quiz, and the quiz usually (laughs) goes from the years where I was about two or three, and, and Steve was like 30 or something like that. Yeah, be careful. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, Jesus right. Christ, you're putting loads of years on me there. <laughs> right, well, let's start with you, Marley. You can have the first dabs. We're going to go with Portsmouth, who was on the front of their shirt between the year 2002 and the year 2005. Uh, was it Oki? That O-K-I. Ooh. I don't know how you say it. I think it's that, but that's, that's the it one that springs to It was not. Oh, well. It was not. It was Ty, the makers of Beanie oh, the Babies. Beanie Babies. And there was a story yeah. that did. There was a story that did the rounds at the time that Teddy Sheringham, Tim Sherwood, got into a bit of a scrap at the training ground, like proper fisticuffs over a Beanie Baby swap that they were supposed to be happening. Which is why I remember that shirt sponsor. So that was Ty on the front of Portsmouth shirts between 2002 2005. No point for Marley. Next one, Steve Bolton Wanderers between 1990. And 2009, 19 years as a shirt sponsor, but who was it? Reebok. It was Reebok, of course. Reebok Stadium, even oh Campo, God. JJ Akocha, iconic shirt sponsor. That was Point easy. Bloody Stadium was named after it for 20 years. <laughs> well, see how you get on with this one, Marley. Who sponsored Leicester City on their shirts? Walkers. From 1987, right the way through to 2002, was, of course, the Walker Stadium, <laughs> the Walker shirt sponsor paid off for Gary Lineker that particular sponsorship deal Steve Everton yeah 1985 to 1996 who was on the front of their shirts half half near it was not it was NEC oh NEC yeah I don't yeah, particularly course, remember that was before weren't it better option than Angry Birds yeah they were, they were, yeah, they nice shirts to be fair yeah and the last sponsor they had in their shirt when they won the FA Cup with that famous win over Manchester United or won any silverware for that matter Pop. who scored I don't know Paul Rideout. Very good. Well, remember, no extra points, though. It's still 1-1. Aston Villa, Marley, 1993 to 1995. Who was on their shirts? Aston Villa, bloody hell. Um, Don't know. Um, Pornhub. Can I take it? Can I take it? (laughs) You you can, Steve. I'm not sure I'm going to give you a point, but you you can tell me what it is. It was it was Muller. It was oh, yeah, Muller, the, the yogurt creators. Well done. No idea if it made them any better at corners, but that was their sponsor. Man hey. City, thank you. Uh, Man City is the next one, Steve. Who was on their shirts between 1987 and 1997? A decade of sponsorship. Uh, Man City, I'm just thinking back. It wasn't Saab, was it? No. Oh. Um, was it Brother? Brother, the princess. No, it was iconic sponsorship, mainly because of that Liam Gallagher, Noel Gallagher photo where they're both seen wearing the Man City shirts with brother written on the front of There's them. There's a brother factory near so my Steve's... house, actually. I didn't even know they were still going. They are still going strong. No, I didn't know they were still going. Steve's 2-1 up, Marley. You can pull it back with this one. West Ham sponsorship between 1998 and 2003. Oh, that's easy. Ugh. Um, I can see, oh, Doc Martens yes correct Decanio Lampard oh, yeah. Defoe I had Carrick. the picture of Decanio's uh, scissor kick in my head and I was thinking what the hell was on in the middle of his shirt golden era right final one Steve this is for you you can nab the win here if you miss the open goal it's going to be a draw Manchester United 1982 to the year 2000 who was their shirt sponsor Sharp Electronics. 
it was Sharp Electronics for the win. Yes. <laughs> 3 2 to Steve. I, I remember Sharp being a brilliant sponsor for Manchester United, particularly in the era oh, where they yeah. had Lee Sharp playing for them. And he had Sharp on the front of his shirt and Sharp on the back of his shirt. It was a brilliant 90s football moment. Uh, that is it for today's Football Social Daily. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back later with Football Social Daily shots, wrapping up the day's news. Not that there is much news at the moment in terms of the Premier League during the international break. We'll get stuck into the international friendlies at the weekend as well. So make sure you've clipped subscribe and follow and you'll get the next episodes as soon as they're ready steve marley nice one cheers guys cheers guys and we'll see you next time for another football social daily football social daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode